This is Dan Gore. Welcome to the Icons Podcast. For more than 30 years, I've been involved in the art of female impersonations and celebrity impersonations. I've worked with some of the most amazing performers in our history. I've traveled around the world, producing and directing shows for corporate events, casting for TV and movies. But most impressive of all is getting to know some of the most amazing people ever to grace our industry. Best known to many as the art of drag. I've worked with and become friends with some of history's finest that have paved the way for many of today's current and upcoming performers. This is our chance to learn more about our drag history. This is Icons, Incredible Creations on Stage podcast. Hello there, this is Dan Gore with this week's episode of the Icons podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am to introduce you to this person. You know, when I was impersonating George Michael, as many of you know, years ago, um, I looked up and followed a lot of impersonators and it was always a dream. It seems like it's always a dream for a lot of us impersonators you know, to one day work with the people that we impersonate, you know, so I always had this dream that, oh, maybe one day I'd work with George Michael and be like a body double or a decoy or something because Michael Jackson, you know, had decoys, he used a lot of Michael Jackson impersonators as decoys. And sometimes there was a Super Bowl. Here I go. This is how sports oriented I am. There's a Super Bowl edition where Michael Jackson performed and he used lookalikes at every angle throughout the whole stadium where he was performing. So it was always a dream of mine to, you know, work one day with George Michael. And uh, this person that I have, uh, I've admired from, from day one. I appeared in a national magazine with him called The Advocate. Um, it was an article about impersonation. And uh, he had the chance, and I'm sure it was a dream of his, a surprising dream. I'm sure he worked with his alter ego uh, for, for a couple of years. We're going to hear about that story. He's also a participant of uh, the Miss Gay America pageants as well, I believe. But we'll hear all about that. And please welcome to this episode, uh, Mr. Elgin Kenna. Hi, Elgin. How are you? Hi, Dan Gore. It's so nice to see you. Well, I'm not seeing you, meeting you for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I've been a huge fan of yours. I know it's been, you know, when I thought of doing this podcast, you were like one of my number ones that I had to get a hold of. I wanted to talk to you. I never had the chance to meet you. I know you were at one time, you were at Lacage in the audience, I believe, in West Hollywood one day, and I saw you from afar, but I never approached you. That might not be true or not. I was there, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I remember I remember that night that you were there. So tell me if you can. I want to just briefly touch on like where you grew up at. Um, I was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm back in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, all right. And when you grew up, did you have a big family? Your only child? No, no, I had uh, three siblings. I wouldn't say a big family, but, you know, extended family, yes. Grew up, you know, a happy kid. At what point was impersonating, being a female impersonator, was that just like a, uh, something you fell into? Or did you have aspirations that maybe you saw a performer, you thought maybe you'd want to do something like that? It, it's funny because when I was young, I didn't know what I wanted to be. My first job was a rental rep at Budget Rent-A-Car. Um, loved that job. Um, and then I was only, you know, I was 18 when I started impersonating. So I, it, and it took me like a wave. So I really didn't, and I, and I, I rode the wave. So I really did not have any thoughts of anything else. There wasn't a certain moment where you like, you saw a performer on TV or a performer somewhere at a party and you said, Oh, I want to try to do that. The first time I went to a gay bar, um, I met a guy, Chris was his name and, um, we became good friends, girlfriends, as you call it back then. And then he said, you've got to come Sunday. There's a drag show. And I didn't know a lot about drag. I, I, I really didn't. And um, I was only 17. 
so I met him and we watched this drag show at the local um, drag bar. Well, it wasn't a drag bar. It was a, a dance bar, but they had drag shows on Sunday, which so many did back then. And I was just amazed. I mean, truly amazed. And the people that I was watching were, none of them are live now, but they were legends in this town. Do you remember some of those performers that you saw? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, Ebony Devone was a, I would say she was a hot chocolate knockoff. And, I, and that's not against her. But chocolate was so hot at the time. This was 77. And I wow. think chocolate was Miss America. And so Ebony was kind of a, a knockoff of chocolate. And then um, Tony Lenore was the best uh, struck queen you've ever seen in your life. And then Boom Boom Latour was heavy set comedy, that kind of thing. And they worked every Sunday at this, at this club. And, you know, I didn't, once I saw them once, I never missed it. Did any of these people actually impersonate celebrities or they were just impersonating beautiful women? Um, women. Awesome. Awesome. Many, I think in, in, I may be wrong, but I think in Charlotte, there was a Tina Turner lookalike and me doing share. I never announced that, but yeah. So Elgin for the listeners that don't know about Elgin, Elgin, uh, he impersonated share. And uh, so the share impersonation, when did that start? Were you a fan of shares or did someone say, Hey, I think you can look like share. This was crazy because it's, I started impersonating share when I was, 15, no, not 15, maybe 11, 12, 13, because I was a huge fan um, of Sonny and Cher. And there what year just, is that? Not to age us, but Elgin, what, what year are we talking about when you're saying 10, 11, 12? 71, 72, and so the 70, Sonny, Cher, Sonny and Cher show was on TV at that time? Oh, yeah. And oh. Um, I mean, I was, you know, glued to it and uh, just adored I adored them as an act but of course drawn to her and her just all her fabulousness um as so, so many you, of us were so you said you're personating her like you dressed up like you're at like 10 11 or 12 did you do it for like your parents yeah. or your family or where were you no I didn't dress up like her then but I could impersonate her without even being in drag I mean I oh was wow just, so you could just do like these facial expressions and yeah. maybe the tilt yeah. of the head yeah and my friends would say, do it, do it, you know, do share. So we put a, re we put a, a, a record on and I would do share. And then, and, and, and it is amusing because it, my friends that I grew up with still laugh about me doing half breed in their living room. <laughs> <laughs> when I was like, what, 14 years old. But I never inspired to do drag. And I, that, I, I didn't even think about it. A very dear friend of mine, Jody Keats, God rest his soul was going to do a talent show locally here in Charlotte. And he was getting his costumes together. And I had never um, even thought of drag or doing drag. But I was with him as he's getting all his stuff together and his music and everything. And he was doing his music. And Cher's Take Me Home album had just come out. And we, had, we put that on. And we were listening to that while we were trying to get his stuff together. And I just started doing her. Like, <laughs> I wasn't in drag. And how old were you now? Are you just 17, 18? 18. And he said, Oh my God, you've got to do this. And I said, do what? <laughs> I was like, what? And he said, you've got to do this. And he said, do it again. And the song was love and pain. And I did it again. And he said, you've got to do this. I said, I can't do this. There's no way. <laughs> but he pushed and pushed and pushed. And I had just started dating Robert at the time. So I was more into Robert than anything in the world. He pushed and pushed and pushed and he talked me into it. And then several other of my friends talked me into it because they made me do it. Can we just back up? So the first time you saw uh, the performers, the drag show on Sundays, what bar were you at? It was the Scorpio. And is it still there today? It is. 
It's awesome. still there today. Awesome. I think the Scorpio. I think the Scorpio was opened in like '68 or something like that. I mean, it was. It's. it's I mean, it's been around forever, awesome. and it's still here. So you're 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 helping this this fellow this entertainer friend of yours get ready, uh, packing uh, packing his costumes, listening to the Take Me Home album, and so was he going to the Scorpio to perform or another performance bar? It was a it was a different bar, and it was a bar that had just opened called the Odyssey, and uh, it, they were you know beefing up there you know at big ads about this big talent show to get people to come to that bar. Sure, sure. So I ended up doing it. And it, it, the queen that um, Ebony put me in makeup and hair, and I looked like Diana Ross. <laughs> <laughs> and but I did. I was very afraid to do share because I, you know I'd never been in drag in my life. This is the very first time I was in drag, and they they got out my outfit. It was a little black dress thing, and it was nothing glamorous. And they threw this big black wig on me. Um, I said to the MC, "Don't say I'm doing share. Just introduce me." I did not want anybody to think I thought I could even be close to her because I adored her. So then <laughs> she said, now as Cher, and brought me on. And I did, I saw a man who danced with his wife, which is an old song of hers, and they just went up. So I didn't know what I had or what it was, but I, I, there was something that clicked. And after that show, he, uh, the manager of the bar, Steve Freeman, who was a great guy, he um, said, I want you once a month to do your share of that. And I got like 50 bucks. And I thought, oh, that's 50 bucks. Sure, sure. What year is this now at the Odyssey we're talking about, right? 79, 78, 79, 1978, 79. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and so were you doing, you looked like Diana Ross. So you had the curly wig. I don't even know what kind of hair she was wearing back there. Was she wearing a lot of the straight hair or no? Well, back in that day, Cher was kind of, it was her period of kind of doing not a whole lot. She Take Me Home was a pretty big hit for her. What was her yeah. image? Was she had the curly hair then? I can't remember. It was curly. Yeah. Okay. It was. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't the the fabulous curly it became. It was more of kind of just a frizzy curly look. I mean, it was. But it, I did wear it. It was a. The wig was, you know, a curlier look. Sure. And that, which, to give which credit, softened me, softened me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> to give credit to these people that helped you. So Ebony, uh, I'm sure she's passed on already. You said you mentioned. Yeah. Ebony passed away. What's the full name again? Just to give him him credit, Ebony. Devon. Devon. De Ebony e. Devon. And there was someone else, Ebony, and someone else that helped you get in drag. Ebony did my face and hair, and I just remember a good friend of mine, Lila Claire, was was his drag name, and he was very local. Never really did much with it after you know he got a little older, but I just remember he brought me that night a pair of patterned toes, so you wouldn't see the hair on my leg. <laughs> <laughs> That was, I mean, everybody was helping me out. I mean, I didn't need, it was, I didn't even know what I was doing. They just said, <laughs> go out and do it. Too. <laughs> and how about the heels? Did you, was that something you just fell into or did someone teach you how to walk in heels? Cause you know, I've done drag, not that you should know this, but I've done drag twice the first time. And it's very painful. The first time I didn't have to wear heels. The second time I wore like four inch heels and I was in immense pain. I couldn't even perform. I was, and I just kind of sat there and looked pretty and moved my well, the, lips. The first pair of heels was um, Ebony's. And luckily we were the same size. I, I'm going to say 10. It was around that. Um, and it was a silver block heel. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so it wasn't really right. a problem. And the dress was long, so you didn't really see the shoes. But, um, but it was, I mean, I'm not going to say it, it was by any means good, but it, it, there was just something I could sell. 
and and it was it was coming through and people other people saw it more than i did so this is odyssey you do this talent show i assume do you win it you impress them enough to hire you to do once a month well what happened was there it was just a talent show so this girl sang um the theme from mahogany live and, and, and i mean it, she won but i we thought that was it i mean i didn't think i would but then i was first runner up so that was mine Awesome. So you get this gig at the Odyssey that uh, we're talking like the 78, 79. And then you, what's the, do you remember the first show you do? Is it just, is it a couple of songs or they have, you want you to do like 10 songs? It's like, how does it play out? Do you remember? It was one song and he said, you know, because they had their regular lineups of people and I was just brought in to do my share thing. And um, the next show I did, I wore, and we looked all over. It was just me and my friends. And we found, we found a, a, a black straight wig. And then I had on this like dan skin top and then a shawl kind of skirt. And <laughs> I was going to do gypsy strength and things because, you know, I, in my heart, I was now share. I mean, everybody loved me. <laughs> I bombed so hard. It was terrible. And they said, never wear a straight wig again. <laughs> <laughs> and I, don't I mean, think I ever did. You know, it's so funny because, you know, I do. One of the reasons I want to start this is where people start the podcast is for people to actually, you know, listen to it and learn about doing drag and maybe even learn about doing drag better. And as an impersonator, we all have a certain image that that's what we usually, typically, that's what we look good in. So it doesn't always work across the board where people can wear all these different images of their alter ego, the celebrity, and look just like them. I was never really a dancer. So I just, would people that I coach and me myself when I was impersonating, it's like I'd find a moment that I could duplicate him but i couldn't dance like him so i i always made sure that i didn't put myself in that that situation where people would clock me and judge me for that and he plus he was oh, a free, was freestyler so it wasn't really much like people would say i would just find certain moments that stood out in his performance and i would do like do that so i can understand where if you didn't look good in the straight hair but i think i don't recall if i ever seen you in the straight hair the straightest hair i ever did was um later much later on Okay. And um, it was with the bang. She brought that back. And then I had a, a wig guy that did one for me. And it was a fabulous wig. So I did wear that and it, it worked for me. Save up all your tears. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big, I must say I'm a pretty big fan. So, you know, when I used to, long before I thought I'd ever be producing drag shows and coaching girls, you know, I, the very first, one of my girlfriends, he wanted to share and I thought he could do share. And we were in awe of you at the time. We'd see you on all the talk shows, which we'll get to, but don't you become involved in the pageant system at, some time, yeah. at some time? And did one of the girls at the club get you into that? Or how did that start? I was hired by the Odyssey and they built a big club, a new club, and they were starting this big show like Sunday night show. It was like Wednesdays and Sunday show. And that was, drag was pretty big in Charlotte then. So they were really, you know, relying on some local talent. And so I don't know, do you remember Shauna Reese, Shauna Steele? Shauna Steele, yes. Okay, Shauna Steele was a very good friend of mine. She came from Texas to be the, um, like, headliner of our new shows, show director. And she saw me and she said, I want you to, you know, come to this show bar with me and all that, or this club with me. And we became very, very good friends. And she directed me in so many ways, honed the craft of share. So I did and I did. And um, she helped me so much with costuming and, and, and just so many things as, as going from a man to a woman. I mean, she helped me with that so much. 
thought. John is still not to interrupt you just real briefly. So John is still for the listeners was a transsexual. She sang live. She was a comedian. And she, um, she got a lot of fame uh, at one point from a Las Vegas show, but that people knew her fr- from, from being, we got pre-op or post-op, but that doesn't matter. But yeah, she was a transsexual, but beautiful transsexual, like drop dead, gorgeous, unclockable runway yes. type woman. She was amazing. She, yeah. Eventually she had a full sex change and lived and worked in Las Vegas as a showgirl. She was actually an MC. She worked for Kenny Kerr for Boy Less for a while. And she did mm-hmm. crazy, crazy girls. She did Crazy Girls, yeah, because she worked for Norbert Allen who I worked for. But yeah, she was she guided me a lot with my early, early career. But the way I got into the pageants was a guy named Tom Gwen and a um, queen named Stella Starr, who was in the big pageant. She was a big pageant queen, and I mean, I I didn't know a thing about pageants. I mean, you know, I didn't I didn't have any interest. I didn't do anything. But they came to the Odyssey one night and they saw me do share or my impersonation of Cher. And um, they came to me afterwards and said, we want to work with you because your talent, it, they explained the pageant system to me and they said, your talent would be so so good for the pageant system. And I was like, okay, whatever. I really had, <laughs> I had no interest whatsoever. Did you have a drag uh, name at this time or were you just going by Elgin? Oh, I hate to even say I did, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> I faintly remember it, but I don't. It would probably come to me, but it might be easy for you to tell me. I want you to remember it. <laughs> it was silly because the club made me. Um, I wanted to use Elgin. I just said, just call me Elgin. But they wouldn't. They said, it has to be a girl name. I was like, okay. So Kelly was hot on Charlie's Angels. And then Cher's last name at the time was Almond. So it was Kelly Almond. Okay, awesome, awesome. <laughs> so please. Please don't repeat that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Too late now. Everyone's going to hear it. So that's awesome. So what point do you enter the pageant? And do you have a sponsor? What year do you finally enter the a pageant? Is it a regional pageant or what, do you finally make it to well, the nationals? Well, at the time, Stella Starr was Miss North Carolina, Miss Gay North Carolina. I became good friends with her and with Tom, um, who was kind of a pageant. He would groom, groom guys for pageants. And it was just, this is the truth. It was like on a Friday afternoon, Stella called me. Lindsay was his name. Lindsay called me and said, the Miss Atlantic pageant is going on in Raleigh this weekend. And I have to go up and perform because he was um, the reigning Miss North Carolina. And it was a pageant out of North Carolina to get into Miss uh, America, Miss Gay America. And uh, he said, and we want to put you in it. And I was like, what? And Sunday, and, and this is Sunday. Well, I don't hate to say it because they were also generous with their time and their, their belief in me, but um, they always just dressed me. I mean, I was just, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they had an evening gown for me. They had sportswear for me. They taught me through interviews in the car ride up there. I mean, and then my talent was shared. And I came in first place, or I mean, um, first runner up, and my talent won. But I was just so, you know, I wasn't good in interviews. I wasn't good in, in most everything except my talent. But my talent got me to first runner up, and then I went to Miss America. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So first runner up was so. And what was that? What was that like? Were you just had you seen a national pageant? Because, I mean, I get chills now thinking about national pageants because the two I've been to, it was like I was dumbfounded by the talent and by the passion these performers have. It was nothing like I've ever seen in my entire life. It was just I was dumbfounded. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I don't remember the year, but Miss America, Miss Gay America came to Charlotte in, oh God, it must have been 81, maybe 82. Um, I may be wrong, but 
and I was working at the Odyssey. So when Miss America came, the Odyssey hosted the prelims. So I was kind of the gopher running around backstage and um, or at the club. And then when they went to the auditorium for the final night, I was back there running around. And that was a, a real eye opener of just the talent that they put into that. And I, I mean, and seeing it, I had no interest. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the last thing I want to do. This is too hard. And I mean, those those guys were unbelievable. So I got a taste of it then, but I had never been in one. The first one I went to, it was a real eye opener. And I mean, I just fell in love. I fell in love with so many talented people. I just, oh my God, you know. And what do you finally win the title? Oh no, no, no. Okay, I, so I was. You know, I only went twice. And my first year I went, Tasha Cole won, who I adore. I just think she's so, so fabulous. And then the second year I went, um, Naomi won, Naomi Sims. Who, mm -hmm. God, who doesn't love Naomi Sims? Um, yes. Or didn't love her. Um, but I was close. I was like in the top. My first year, I, I was fourth or fifth runner up to the thing. And it was all my talent. It was just my share lookalike thing yeah, that got yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. And then my second year, I think I was... I was I was fifth or sixth to the to the and those were out of like fifty something people. So I mean I was starting to feel like okay this is something I think I can do. But tell me what's the progression? What's the next step from so you do the pageants in eighty one eighty two I'm assuming and then when right. when, when does the share progression start? When do, um, what's your next step after that? Do you finally move a, out of the Odyssey into a different club or? We were actually living in Greensboro, North Carolina. I was Miss Gay Greensboro. What was going to happen was I was going to win Miss Greensboro and I did. We had just moved to Greensboro. My husband was transferred and I left the Odyssey and, you know, they wanted me in this club at Greensboro anyway. I could get work. I mean, I never had trouble getting work. I won Miss Greensboro and then it was like, I want to say six months later, I get a phone call first thing in the morning. I was sound asleep and it was Mike Landers. I mean, he was so far advanced. I can't even imagine. I mean, I just don't, I mean, we've talked about in a previous podcast, the female impersonator pageant of the year, you know, on the VHS with Ruth Buzzy. And if you look real hard, I'm in that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'm so thankful. Like if, if anything happened, they were going to put me in. And I'm just so glad they didn't because good uh, God, but it, not that it was a bad path, but you know, with all the lip sync and then they dubbed the voices. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Andrews was just, he stood out in that pageant, like a million, but I mean, it was just crazy. Like, who is that? Like you see them coming down the runway and Michael Andrews pops out and just gorgeous, dead gorgeous. Unbelievable. So, so Michael Andrews what? calls you, wakes you up in the morning and what's he have to say to you? During that pageant thing or whatever that was, we, um, we met and he saw, I didn't even perform a share. He just saw me kind of goofing. I would kind of dress up halfway like her and people were talking about me a little bit. So he called me at like 10 in the morning, woke me up. So I was like, poo. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, um, hi, it's Michael Andrews. There was an evening that Lacage was already in Atlantic City and in Vegas. But Michael was going to star in a show called Carousel to Fall. And that was in it in New York City, the Latin Quarter, which was Barbara Walters' father's club. Oh, wow. Okay. Barbara Walters uh, from The View. <laughs> yep. Barbara Walters. Yeah. I don't want to jump ahead, but he or Michael was putting together this show of lookalikes. And it was very much like a Lacage show. And he wanted me to do share. And then he said, can you do anything else other than share? And I said, no. And he said, you've got to find another. We, we need to do two, two impersonations. Okay. He basically hired me over the phone. They sent me a plane ticket to fly to New York. And I was very excited, but skeptical too, because I'd never done anything like that. But we got there. I'm in New York City. We're staying in a great hotel. 
Um, and and what what year is this now? Right around there, maybe 84, 85. They fly me to New York, and Norbert Alleman was the producer, and Michael was the star, and then our MC was Pudgy. And she was kind of yeah. like the Don Rick female. Yes, yes. Very, very funny. You know, she was the MC, and I mean, they just threw me into this, and there was some really talented guys there. I met Joey Skillbread, who was uh, becoming a dear friend. Char- Charo. Yes, yes. Not just, just a, a not, not just an amazing performer, but also an amazing artist. He was a painter. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He was he was all around talented and just a sweet guy. And we became close friends during this gig because um, we were not the party guys. You know, we didn't go out to party a lot. We went right. to the wine piano bars. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> um, because this was just not a good time with the AIDS and everything going. It was just it, it was blowing up at the time. I was in New York. We worked the show, and Michael did, um, of course, his Anne Margaret, and he did uh, Cindy Lauper. And I did share, and then at rehearsals, I tried to do Lily Tomlin, some of her live stuff, and that was horrible. And Norbert hated he hated me. <laughs> oh. And he, I, I had not been in shared costume yet, but Michael kept swearing by me. And so when we were in our first meeting, he said, "And we're going to." He was, but anyway, he talked. Yeah, about very, you. very thick French accent, right? Yeah, very. Oh my God. When I met, but the, the first time I met him, he was stunningly gorgeous. He was probably 40. But anyway, we're in this meeting. He goes, and then we got a production for you. You do Take Me Home. It's a dancers. And, and I said, I can't do that. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, I can't have anybody on stage with me. I have to be by myself. Well, and I'm six feet tall. And he says, well, I don't, we aren't going to do that. We're going to put you with dancers. And I said, I won't be with dancers. I'm sorry. And he said, well, then what are you going to do? I said, well, if, if I have to be with dancers, I'm going to go home. And he looked at me. And everybody in the room looked at me. And then he said, okay, what are you going to do then? And I said, well, I do this little share medley thing. (laughs) (laughs) I was so confident. (laughs) And I said, and I think it'll work. So then he made me get in drag. And there was a boom box on the side of this stage, gorgeous stage. And he made me do it. And I, I, I was in my full costume, everything. When it was done, he, uh, Michael was there. I, I didn't pull out the little share medley I had. And he said, I hate it. Oh, gosh. I'm standing there on stage. He goes, you're too big. It's not going to work. And Michael said, no bear, no bear. No, it works. I promise you in front of an audience, it'll work. I don't care. I don't care. And he walked out of the room. Oh, jeez. And how old are you now? I mean, because that can be devastating for someone that's, you know, that's brand new. You know, not- it, it was and it wasn't. It was, it, it, it hurt. Of course it hurt um, to be ridiculed like that. And knowing to myself that I could, I could perform in front of a group and entertain them. He was blunt and he, he just didn't like me with an opening number an ensemble number. And then uh, I think it was an Annie, shall come out, some little thing Joey did. <laughs> and then it was me, because he said, I want him on at the beginning of the show. And so I was like the third act out. And I think I'm not going to, I'm not bragging, but I brought down the house. They were of screaming. Of course. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, and it's, it's terrible, but in the back of my head, I thought, told you. you know? <laughs> I knew I could do it. I knew I could do it. Just get me in front of a lie. And how long did that, how long, so in that show, we have Michael Andrews, we have Pachi, we have Joey Skillbread and yourself. Anyone else? Um, do you remember Stephen McCall? Uh, Stephen yeah. McCall? Yep. Yeah, he did uh, uh, Dion Warwick? Dion Warwick. And we also did a, um, a No More Tears, Donna Summer and Barbara Streisand. We did Spoof on that, which was a big hit. And then another, uh, another she was kind of a trans, uh, Renee Rousseau. And then we had dancers and I mean, we had, there were several dance segments in the show that would break in between the drag. But, um, but anyway, so I did that first night and then they moved me to the end of the show 
So I was right before Stefan. My share went right before Stefan doing Dion Warwick, which is Dion Warwick's fabulous. So how long did this show run? And we're in New York City now, right? And what's the name of the theater? Barbara Walters' dad was a big showman. Uh, the Latin Quarter. Latin Quarter. If you, Google, if you Google that, there's all kinds of... It goes way back. It goes way back to Jack Benny, Vaudeville. I mean, a lot of people appeared there. It was a beautiful old... old I wouldn't call it a theater. I call it more like a supper club. or a, But they had a gorgeous stage. You know, it always, I mean, just as a side, a side thought, but, you know, I would, I would see interviews with Barbara Walters and, you know, I never, I mean, I know you spoke about, you never imagined you'd ever be doing drag and be doing share. I never imagined I'd be doing shows and I'd always hear about Barbara Walters, you know, upbringing, how just, I don't think she had a very, I can't, I, I, you know, you don't quote me here, but I don't think her relationship with her father was kind of estranged and it always stuck out in my head because of his passion for shows. Like she always right. talks a little bit negative about that, how he bankrupt the family and he was just obsessed with doing shows and theaters and being a showman. So that always scared me. I'm like, it can't be me, but I guess it's something about the passion of the business where it's just all or nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, yeah. you know, I just, I, the passion always has outweighed the dollar and outweighed uh, being able to survive, you know? And that's what I found out way later in life that it doesn't matter if I make a dollar, I just have to do something I'm passionate about because that's what's going to bring me happiness. So, I mean, I, yeah. he, he must've had the same passion. I felt sorry for her, you know, and her, her upbringing because she, I know she doesn't, I don't think she talks very positive about that upbringing because her dad was a huge showman. It sounds exciting to me, but I'm sure there was much more stories involved. I mean, the Latin Quarter and, you know, featuring female oh. purstaters had to be fabulous. I think if, if you investigated anything about the Latin Quarter, I think you'd get a lot of stories out of that. I mean, there was, when we were working there, it was just, it was so cool. And it was, I mean, it was it was an old theater or a, a show club, I guess you would call it. Um, and it was, I mean, huge portraits of these showgirls in their costumes going up the steps. And I mean, it was just so nostalgic and of that time. And it was it wow. was it was really. I mean, I mean, we loved working in that theater. How long did that last for? And Steph McCall is that the only other performer then, or was there another personator? Michael Andrews, Joey Skillbread, Buddy was there. Renee Rousseau was her name. Um, she did Shirley Bassey, um, but that was about it. I mean, and we only awesome. ran for three months, signed a contract with Norbert for three months. I mean, the show was, was picked up for three months. After that but, three months, he must have ha had changed his mind about you. I, 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 I left New York and went back home and we were living in Greensboro, North Carolina at the time. Um, and Robert was still working there. And um, I was so happy to be home. I'm a homebody. I'm, you know, I love being at home, being with, you know, my husband, being with my dogs, whatever. Sure. And so I was just so happy to be home. And Norbert called, said, I want you to come to Atlantic City. And I said, oh, really? And I said, I don't really think I'm cut out for that. <laughs> I was, you know, I was so young. And, I, you know, I had just done this thing in, in Atlantic City, or I mean, in New York, which was very similar to the Lacoste Atlantic City. So I knew what they were, you know, kind of what you would do. And it was exciting. I'm not going to say it wasn't. I was very excited. But once I got home, I was so happy to be home. And so it was funny. I had a friend of, I, I kind of turned, I didn't turn him down, but I said, let me think about it. And he was like, what? You know, he, <laughs> he his, had to think about it. His ego did not want you to say no. <laughs> well, I wasn't being grand. I wasn't being anything. I was just so happy to be home and back in my environment. But I said, give me a day and I'll call you back. 
I just want to talk to my family and stuff like that. And so, but we were, a friend of mine had come over and her name was Liz. My husband and Liz and I, we were just sitting there having some wine and we were talking and I said, I just don't know what to do. And she said, why wouldn't you go? You're young, try it, just go. If you don't like it, you can come back. And I called him back the next day and said, okay, I'll come. And so he was going to sign me for six months to be in Atlantic City as an evening at Akash. And I did share and I did um, Hello, Dolly Spook, mm-hmm. which I guess everybody knows about. Because I always did a knockoff, you know, comedy, Barbra Streisand. So that was my second character. So <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And started there and I think it was 85. And he was in the show then. Who was hosting? Was Bobby Bruno hosting? No, Bobby came a little bit later. Drew okay. was, Drew Taylor, who was a dear friend. Um, Drew was the MC, And then there, Jimmy James was there as Maryland. It was phenomenal. Um, no, you, uh, I'm getting chills already. I mean, that was the A cast. I think Atlantic City had one of the best casts at one given time. Who else was in it? I think, I think we, we did. We always did. And um, I, Phil- I, that, show, that show was, was a, a great show. We had and, Phil, I mean, a- Phil Craig, uh, April, April Summers. Phil Craig, um, dear friend. April Summers, good friend. Um, uh, we had a Madonna. Carly Davidson. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. She was out of Philadelphia. Danny Windsor, who, who stole the show every night with his comedy. He was so funny. He did Ethel Merman, a kind of a comical thing. And then he did a, a disco dolly uh, comical thing that was, it brought the house down every night, um, every show. Um, we had Kenny, who did Michael Jackson. Randy Allen, who did Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli. And he was a dear, dear friend. That's when I first got there. And had you, had you you met all these people that time, or did you know some of them coming into the show? Well, and I, I can't believe I forgot Chocolate and Joey Spielbrand. They were there, too. And I knew, I knew Chocolate from just knowing her through the pageant system and just knowing her. She had worked in Charlotte, you know. I mean, we just we kind of knew each other. And then Joey, who I knew, he was my buddy in New York. So I had those two to cling to when I got there. I didn't know anybody else, but they were very gracious when I got there. And they showed me the ropes and that kind of stuff because it, it was very hard for me to sit in. And do you remember what share number you were doing at that time? I did that. <laughs> I did that same little medley that I had given Norbert before. And he said, yeah, we got to do this medley. <laughs> <laughs> no productions, but evidently, or, I mean, sorry, not evidently, um, eventually, um, he got me in a Take Me Home production. So you're in the Atlantic City show, and what, at what point does, do we get a call to go on these talk shows that became so rampant at the time? Well, when I first got there, it was local stuff. It was Philadelphia or, or radio in Atlantic City. There wasn't a lot of, there was nothing big, you know, like a, a big talk show, but the, the local, all the local stuff we all did. So, I mean, that was, it was okay. I mean, it was, it was learning experience more than anything to be able to, you know, get up and do makeup at 7 a.m. and be on a show. And, <laughs> which, you know, queens aren't used to that. You no, know. no. So it was a learning experience and it certainly helped me. The more I did, the better I got with it. And eventually uh, I see you guys on uh, Geraldo uh, and you guys are at a mall. I think the Mall of America or something. I'm not quite sure. Somewhere. It was a, um, it was an old, it was, I don't know what it was, but they had, you know, refurbished the whole thing. And it was this beautiful mall, upscale mall. And when they first called me about that, or Norbert is the one who, I said, I'm not going to go to Dragon Mall. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was like, and I fought, I fought it. And he called me at like 10 at night and said, you've got to do the show. And Drew wasn't going to do the show. And Randy wasn't going to do the show because they said they're going to humiliate us. 
Oh. And back then, you've got to realize, though, that back then, drag wasn't what it is now. It was up for humiliation. You didn't know who was going to be in the audience. You didn't know what question would be asked. But Norbert insisted I do it. And thank God I did it. But um, I did do it. And it was me and Jimmy James and April and Phil, Phil Craig. Craig. Yeah. yeah. And, I remember um, seeing that. And I remember, I mean, just, first of all, I was a huge Cher fan. So, you know, when I saw you, I was just, I was just blown, blown away. I was just out of my mind. Like it was just, the, everybody was amazing. But because I was a huge Cher fan, fan, that was just, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, I must have watched that tape a thousand times. And I knew I didn't want to do Cher. I knew I couldn't do share, but I sure, certainly wanted, I, I've taught a lot of shares as a, a show producer, director. So, I mean, I probably could do share if I had the same bone structure because I, I've watched her so often, but uh, you were amazing on that. And uh, everybody was, but you, for you, for me personally, just stood out. Uh, I appreciate that. It was, yeah. um, it was funny because I didn't want to do it, but I knew I, Norbert insisted I do it. And he was pushing me to do it. And I knew, you know, with Jimmy James going and Phil going and, and, you know, I knew I was in good company and, and great company. Now, if we could just um, talk about the makeup, how long did it take you eventually to, was that a struggle for you to learn how to do the makeup at first? Well, it's funny because I thought I had it down when I first got to Lakash, And it was pretty good when I got to Lakash. I mean, it, I had a, a system that I would do. And then we went through a lighting. Like we were going through this, you know, the spotlight and this lighting stuff. And they say, we can't see you. We can't. So all of us start beating like, you know, banshees. I mean, when the, <laughs> the makeup it got so heavy and so awful. We didn't realize it because we thought this is what we were doing for the lights. And then we did a, our publicity poster that would hang out front. And it came back and we all just went, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they spend quite a bit of money to get these things done. And so it was Drew and Randy and I, I think it was all of us. We just went to the entertainment director and said, please. And we went to Norbert, please give us another shot. Give us another shot. And um, the Witches of Eastwick had just come out. And she was so just soft and so just beautiful it wasn't you know the share that we were used to you know she wore makeup she was out there but then when you saw her on screen it was like oh my god she's beautiful so i softened a lot i mean it really and i softened my wigs i softened everything so i mean it was a real learning experience for all of us at the time and <laughs> well this is got- pre pre-digital photography pre you know digital photoshop this is the time when when airbrushing oh, yeah. cost, cost you an arm and a leg if you're going to change any photograph oh i know I know, but they reshot the, the poster and it came out gorgeous. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So you're in Atlantic City for how long at that time? Well, I would say five years, six years. Oh my gosh. I, it, it's, no, it's weird because the timing is crazy because I, I feel like I got there in 83 or 84 and then I was there, I guess, four years before I went and was there. And then, so let's, let's talk a little bit about how that came to be. I hear all these stories through, you know, the communication gap, which I'm sure I'd make you laugh if I told you the story (laughs) that I tell people. I would love to hear you. (laughs) So the story as I, as I have been told and I have heard from the street was that Cher actually saw you on one of these talk shows and she thought that perhaps she was looking at herself. And she was a little bit confused. I'll tell you the story. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> yeah, no, we absolutely. Of course I want to hear it. That's why you're here. So go ahead. So I did the, I did the Geraldo show. And is this the Geraldo show that's in the mall or second episode? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was his premiere of his talk show. And we did that show. And I was very happy with it, you know, because the audience was was just great to all of us and great to me. And he was very generous to us. But then, you know, it was over. And my mother called me. 
And she said, something's going to come of this. And I had not seen it. You know, we, we, we were live, so I had not seen it. And she said, something's going to come of this. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you were just incredible. And that was coming from my mom, you know? Was, like, what? <laughs> was your and, mom a um, fan of, did she, was drag something that, that she was bothered by originally and she accepted it? Or was she 100% support from the get-go? Well, I didn't let her know I was doing anything until I went to New York. Okay. So that would be a step back in the conversation. But um, she wanted to come to New York. I want to come see you. What are you doing? And I said, well, mom, I'm impersonating. And, and she knew I loved Cher. I mean, she yeah, knew sure. I could impersonate. <laughs> <laughs> but she never thought I was doing drag. I never told her I was doing drag. You know, I just, I didn't do that much in drag, you know, to take up my life. Not until I got into the pageants a little bit. That's when it was starting to take up my life a little bit. But I never told her about it. But she was very supportive of me and Robert. And, you know, we were, we were family, all of us. My whole family support, supported us. But she said, I want to come see you. And I said, well, well let me wait and just see how this goes. Because it was brand new. And she was calling Robert saying, where is he? Well, he, he'll be back. He's at the supermarket, you know, that kind of stuff. We were just trying to solve. <laughs> so she called, she called, or he called me and said, call your mother now. So I said, I'm doing share in New York City. What? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, what? And I said, yeah, it's a lookalike show and I do share. And I'll explain later. And she wanted to come, but I said, don't come yet. Let me get my feet wet up here. And she never did come to New York, but she did come to Atlantic City. God, you know, every summer she would come for weeks and stay with us. And, <laughs> Everybody loved them. Cher eventually gets a hold of you, and that's from her seeing you in the uh, when the Atlantic City cast was on uh, Geraldo. So I was on Geraldo, and then the next day I went into my makeup station, and there was a telegram, and the telegram said, um, uh, "What did it say exactly?" Um, I saw you. I was. It started out with I was working out, and I saw you on television. I was impressed. I'm not easily impressed. <laughs> Love Cher. So, of course, me being, you know, me, I said, who sent me this? You know, just, I did not believe it. And so, I, you know, I'm trying to get ready and do my makeup for the show that night and everything. I'm just shaking. I'm going, Cher did not just send me something. And so the next day, Robert said, well, send something back and see if she responds. And I, I just sent back, thank you so much. Would an autographed picture be pushing it? <laughs> And the next day I went into work and there was an autographed picture and it says all my love share. And I was like, whatever. I thought, this is just unbelievable. This isn't happening. And I mean, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't even, even, you can't even think you're worthy of that. You know, sure, and sure. it was such a compliment. I mean, such a compliment. And, and I mean, I thought I'd hit it, you know, hit it big because share acknowledged me. And that was pretty good. It was pretty, pretty good feeling. Wow. Wow. So after Atlantic city ends, um, so this is, what year is the telegram? So immediately after the Geraldo show. So what year is that? Like 86? No, no. It was 80, 88, 89. It was right after I think she won the Oscar. So you're still but, in Atlantic I'm in Atlantic City, yes. Right. And then what, how long are you there for? Do you actually leave? So eventually Cher contacts you again, I'm assuming at some point. So I would say it, 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 I, you, you're a Cher fan, so you know all the, all the stuff. Her comeback was in, in, in Atlantic City at the Sands, and that was... That was the first show where she was going to perform with her new album, um, the Share album that she brought back. Was I found someone and we all sleep alone. I had bought, I had paid five hundred dollars to get tickets to that show for me and Robert. Was so excited, and our um, entertainment director was talking to the inter. We were at Valley's that Share was going to perform at Sam's, and both entertainment directors were going to set up a meeting just backstage, you know, a, a meet and greet. And I was so excited. I mean, I'm so excited. <laughs> and I just wanted, you know, just to 
just to shake her hand and say, I love you, you know, love you, been such a fan, that kind of thing. It was the day that we were dark, and it was a Tuesday. We were always dark on Tuesday, and we'd gone shopping, and we came home, and my answer machine was full. And it, most of them were just, it was um, Gary, our entertainment director at Valley, saying, you've got to call me, call me back, call me back, call me back. And I called him back, and he said, Cher's manager is wants you to call him immediately. And I mean, this is literally, this is literally a month before her premiere in Atlantic City at Sam's. And I called, and his name was Billy Samus, great guy, really nice guy. And he just said, Cher wants you in her new show. And I said, well, I've already got tickets to it. <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's a great comeback. <laughs> Cher, Cher wants you in the show. Oh, I got tickets already, thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, literally, that's the way I felt. So they, I mean, honestly, it was like I always say, everything I've done, it's been a wave. And there it went again. That wave went up and they flew me to Vegas, or not Vegas, um, L.A. We went into rehearsals immediately. They did not know what they were going to do with me. I was scared. I was. I mean, this is crazy. This is intense because we're talking what, 80, 80, uh, 80. Nine? 89. Yeah, so, that time it was so, I mean, here, here's, here's a young man. How old are you at this time? 29. 29 years old. And I mean, th- talk about just an amazing journey. So when you're 10, 9, 10, 11, you would just mimic her, you know, watch the Sunny and Cher show. And now here you are being flown to LA and about to appear in Cher's concert. I mean, that is unreal. That is just unbelievable. Were you just like, when you were on the plane, do you, can, can you even recall the way you felt? Were you just like, is this even happening? And people just wouldn't understand. It was so frightening. I was so excited to meet Cher. You're in LA and you're just, are you just completely a nervous wreck over the whole thing when you get there? I wasn't a nervous wreck, but I was um, so out of sorts. Um, it, it wasn't me. I, I don't like hotels. I don't like um, road stuff. I just don't like all that. I like being at home. And so it was. It took a lot of me to just to stiffen up and do it. And I didn't only do it for me. I did it for the people around me that loved me and thought that I needed to do this. But it was scary. It was. Um, I didn't know anybody. And they were very different kind of people. I mean, they were L.A. people. They were young dancers. They were people that knew the ropes. And, and I was just this stupid. I felt like a stupid kid out of nowhere, you know, just thrown into this. And everybody was, was pretty nice. I mean, it was still, um, there was still a, you know, a difference between gays and straights. And I mean, it, was, it wasn't a, it wasn't you had, a, a bad... you, you, I mean, you had Cher on your side, though. So, I mean, out of all... Yeah, I mean, she's the one that brought me there. I did have that on my side, and I wasn't, nobody hurt me or, you know, belittled me. Sure, it's just a scary, I mean, at 29, that's a scary situation. So, you got, are you guys in like a a, a airplane hangar? Where do you guys rehearse at when you're in LA? We were at UCLA in their auditorium, and they, um, that was most of the rehearsals, or in, there was like a, um, under, it was was a basement, I guess, under under the state or under the uh, uh, auditorium that we rehearsed in, and then we would, we would do full rehearsals on stage. And then we were on a sound stage um, at, I think it was MGM. It was just a a sound stage. They set our whole stage up and we worked there, but we only rehearsed for maybe a month, maybe a month. Because they pulled me in at the last minute. They all the numbers were done except for the perfection number that I was in. Bob Mackie make you something, or is he involved at this time in the in the show? I mean, he's always involved, but is he involved heavily with this tour? Yeah, he did all her costumes. Which I mean, in in that stage for her, it was very minimal. She was very um, low key. 
not big flashy stuff. I think the flashiest thing she wore was the, the big white coat with the big white fur snow, hat. The Snow Queen thing. Yeah. That's called. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you remember that concert, she was very into just the, the plain blacks. And it wasn't a showy show. Oh, my God. It, yeah, it was everything because Elgin Kenna was in that show. So it's it's pretty big deal. Oh. <laughs> because, I mean, a situation like that for me, for being this young kid as well, because, you know, back then, you know, in 89, I was uh, 31 years old. So, no, wait, I was uh, 21 years old. You know, I was just starting to be, you know, trying to look like George Michael and I'd meet all these drag queens and they'd help me. And, um, you know, but I mean, to see you and to see you on stage. And I mean, it was just everything. It gave me hope that maybe one day that that could be me, you know, working with George. I'm sure it gave a lot of people hope just for them to aspire to do something like you've done. So, I mean, it's very important, you know, and be proud of what you've done and, and to share the story because it helps. I mean, I'm sure a lot of queens saw you and said, who the hell is that? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a good way. Like, I mean, I mean, I was a huge fan. So at the time, I think um, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but Adam Christopher, I think, was on that tour as well. Um, he's a makeup artist. So I'm not sure whose makeup he was doing at the time, but um, he used to always, he had long curly hair. So he often said people thought, used to thought, oh, that's Elgin. You're the share guy. <laughs> That's a side note, but yeah, he, he was a makeup artist on that tour. So, but uh, I was so impressed seeing oh, you. Oh, there, were, there was no help for me. They, it was just do your thing. So, I mean, that was, and, and I remember going to uh, Renata who did shares wigs. She showed me how to take a wig out of the box and I could do it like at Lacage, you know, we all helped each other. And you sure. know, mm -hmm. I was never great with wigs. But Carly, who I worked with at Lacoste, she was fabulous with wigs. So she'd do my wigs. And like I said, people always help me dress up <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't, I was not that great at all that. Renata, I went in, she was doing Cher's wigs. And so she was with us on tour the first half of the tour. She left about halfway through. She taught me how to pump a wig, you know, be to pull it up and get it out of the box, tease up underneath and make the curls look good. <laughs> so that was pretty fabulous. But so, as far as makes and, I mean, costume, they just made me wear that costume. I said, I don't like this. Who could look good in this costume but her? I mean, you know, there was there was a lot of things that I just had to, to do. You just had to do. You were hired to do a job, and this is what they wanted you to yeah, do. You, I, look, you looked pretty amazing. I mean, I, I, th I just watched that maybe um, – couple months ago on youtube so you look pretty amazing your body was out of control i mean were you always a, you were always a thin guy then or was it hard to keep your weight that no like that? i was never i had to work on it because people I mean, don't understand i mean ideally i mean as performers i mean ideally ideally you know female personnel should be very thin because once you put the padding on and once you put the costumes on if you want to impersonate yeah. a female you got to be a thin boy because otherwise if you're just a regular size boy you're going to be a heavy sized girl <laughs> yeah you're exactly right and i was i was painfully thin for for my size my yeah your my body height. was slamming i mean in that in that in that oscar outfit that you had on was it the oscar outfit you're wearing you eventually reappeared in the perfection number production number on on the mirage videotape and that's the tour we're talking about but what what were you wearing when you first appeared it was a cape and you were doing perfection but i don't remember what your hair was it was just a curly wig well what they did when we premiered at the sands when it was opening night they had me in the the feather headdress that's that's what i started perfection in halfway through they take the headdress off and put a curly wig on me and that was part of the production number and after the opening night billy samus her manager at the time said put him in the wig first 
and it, it and it, it it's so true because just the wig just softens everything, and it it framed my face to do her. Sure. And, and so they they changed it to I would start with the curly wig, and then they put me in the headdress towards the end of the number. It, it was it, honest to God that thing was every day it changed. They were just trying to get something something right out of it. So I mean, for the first, we were we were on the road and we were having rehearsal for per- perfection, just trying to. They just wanted a certain way, and they what they ended up doing is simplifying it. Was Bubba in the as a dancer that time? Oh, and Bubba was my best friend. Yeah, Bubba saved my life on that tour. I would have come, I, honest to God, and I we were texting. Oh God, it might have been a couple weeks ago. And we were laughing about something, and I said, if it wasn't for you, no, 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 no. It was not a couple of weeks ago. It was just a little while ago. Edna Wright died. And Edna Wright was Honeycone, and she was Darlene Love's sister, and she was also a backup singer on our tour. So we were talking about that. I just told him. We started talking about the tour, and he toured with her forever. She's pretty dedicated to the people that, you know, do her right, you know, so. Oh, she is. She is. Um, what um, what was your rapport with her? Like, uh, did you see her each day on the tour or was it kind of a distant relationship? I mean, we were all backstage. We all had our own dressing rooms, but usually I would go and, you know, wish her a good show before, you know, she'd still be in her dressing room getting ready or whatever. And she was lovely to me. I mean, she was, uh, we weren't great friends or, or but she had, she had some, she did have some sort of, I mean, from, from the, the word on the street, she did have some sort of affection for you some somehow. I mean, cause she, you continue to reappear in, in her career from this point forward. Right. So don't you appear in some of her music videos? Just uh, the only thing I did with her was perfection, which, you know, we were on tour and then they wanted me for the American music awards. And I told them, no, um, I said, believe it's the biggest song she's ever had. You don't need a drag queen in it because I didn't want to do it. And I had gained so much weight. And I said, oh, I don't want to do it. And Billy just laughed at me. But then they did. She's not used drag queen since. Um, yeah, I mean, she's a fan but, of drag. And, and you know, she's used yeah. dra- drag in the 70s. Not of her, but, uh, you know, in, in that uh, there's some 70s. Well, do you remember, I, I know you must remember that uh, Monte Carlo show. Her very first concert tour after, you know, her share show and all that, when she was on her own, was Cher at Monte Carlo. You should look that up. It's a, it's a fun concert. But it opens with a guy dressed in drag. And, her, and then she and comes face. out She comes out and says they don't make men like they used to. She comes out as Laverne, yeah, the okay. character she used to do. Well, I will have to look up. That's news to me. So after the tour, I mean, how long does the tour last? A little over a year. And where do you, is it just domestic or do you actually leave the country? We went all over the United States, every major city. And then we were in uh, the UK for three weeks. We did London, Wimbledon, then Birmingham, which is a big, they have a huge arena there. And then we went to Australia for a month and we did all the the major cities in Australia. So we were over there for a month. That was quite a trip. Wow, that's so amazing. Um, so I know she gained some sort of affection for you because you you were on the, the late show with her, David Letterman show, right? Oh, yes, I was. And did she just give you a call or how does that come about? Everything went through Billy, her manager. And he said, Dollface, we need you for Letterman. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I was, um, I had left Lacage. So I was back here in Charlotte. We had, I, we had bought a house in Charlotte. So we were, I was not doing as much drag as I had been. I'd do some clubs in uh, Atlanta or I'd go to Florida just to pick up cash, you know, good weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was kind, kind of trying to get out of drag because I felt like I'd hit the, the big time. I toured with the star that I did, you know, da, 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 da. 
and I was really, really getting bored with it. So um, I worked at Lacage for like three more years, and then I went back to Lacage. We bought our house in Charlotte, and then we moved back here. But I, they called me after, so that was 93 or 4, to do Letterman. It was so exciting, of course, to be on the Letterman show, but, you know, I was their sacrificial lamb. <laughs> so the word on the street, as I heard, was that, yeah, you weren't doing drag anymore. Because I, I just assumed we had some very estranged affection for you because she calls, she reaches out to you, please come and do this show. And you came into town, as I heard it, you came into town to visit with her on the set. And then she goes, I want you to do share. And then they run out and buy you all kinds of off the rack costumes. I don't know who you're hanging around with. <laughs> <laughs> so how does it, but, what's the real story now from, from Elgin's mouth as we should know it. Billy called and said, she wants you for a spoof thing on um, David Letterman. And I said, okay. And he said, so we're going to fly out. So I flew to New York and they had, they had had a, I forget the designer's name, God, and I hate that, but they had called for all my measurements, which I was so embarrassed to give out. I mean, it was like, good Lord, size, size, low. <laughs> but they made a costume for me and they had it there within days. They put me in Billy's suite at this hotel in New York and the costume arrived and I just had to do my wig and that was it. And then I went, we did the show. And what she's like, oh, Elgin, I'm so, I've missed you so much. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, you don't, it's, it's hard. You don't fawn over her. You don't, I tried, I guess, I I guess I was trying to be cool, but, um, you know, inside I was going, oh my God, it's Cher. (laughs) It's Cher and she's there and she's this little petite woman. It's not. It's not what she appears on stage. She's just this little petite woman, and you know, it's 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 very hard to wrap when you're a little kid and you just fall in love with this creature and um, follow her every move, her career, even the bomb albums you love. You know, I mean, and then you meet her. It's 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 quite something. And she was just so down to earth, and she was very sweet to me always. Um, you know, hi, my love, that kind of stuff. You know, give me a little hug. But you just, I, I don't know if I'm being uncool by saying this, but to be cool, you just kind of, you didn't act like you cared. You know, you didn't fawn over her. You didn't, or I didn't anyhow. But it, she was always lovely to me, always. When we finished the um, Letterman show, she got in her limousine with her, and they took me back to my hotel, and he was in the limousine. And I didn't even know who it was. And he was the one doing her makeup at the time. And I don't, do you know any of his story? Uh, lightly, lightly. Kevin Aquan. Oh, Aquan. Aquan. Yeah. Aquan or something like that. But mm-hmm. he was so talented. He was, it, it, it was tragic. His ending is tragic, but he worked with Cher quite a bit. And he was in the limo as we were going back to the hotel, and I didn't even know who he was. She said who he was. She said, this is my makeup artist. But at the time, he didn't really have a name that I knew of. But I just watched a documentary on him, and it was fascinating. So is that the last time you're in touch with Cher then? Or does she stay in touch with you since? I went to Atlanta to her farewell show, and I went backstage, and I got to hang with her a little bit. And then she came to Charlotte. It wasn't the farewell tour, I don't think. Now I think it was the after the farewell tour. I don't, I don't remember. I think it might have been still the farewell tour. But um, Bubba called me and he said, we're going to be in Charlotte. I'm going to give you tickets. How many do you want? And so I just got two. And we went and saw her there. And I went backstage. And, um, you know, just it's just, it's light. It's nice. It's just being, you know, a foot from her. I mean, it's just, and get a hug from her. But she dedicated the show to me and she knew it was my hometown. She said, the part when she goes, this is to all you bitches or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right before that, she says, and this is dedicated to all you bitches and then my dear friend, Elgin. Oh my gosh. 
but it was my hometown, and she knew that. I thought that was awful sweet of her. But that was the last time I talked to her or saw her. What do you think, um, when you look back at that, what's your most memorable, I mean, besides working with Cher, was there anyone that you met? What's the most memorable moment in that tour when you're on tour with her? My friendship with Bubba. We became inseparable. You know, the minute you get up, we talk, and then, you know, we go to bed, we talk, or we go out, you know, to the clubs. And he, he made it bearable for me. And then Peter Tram, who worked with Cher for years and years, he became a good friend. And we were the gay guys, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so we would go to the clubs. But when I first got on the tour, everybody was very distant from me, except for the backup singers. They, we would sit in the front of the bus, the tour bus. But, but the dancers were all in the back of the bus. And I was just kind of... In between, I mean, I would, you know, go to to dinner or lunch with Darlene and Edna and stuff like that. But I was kind of a loner. And then Bubba approached me one day, not not long into the tour. It was right after we started. We were maybe a couple of weeks in, and you know, we were on the road. I mean, so when you're on the road, you're you're traveling overnight in a bus, and and it was it was not bad because these buses are gorgeous. And so I mean, I can't complain. But then he came to me and he said. We were, I forget what city we we're going to. He said, there's a great gay club. Do you want to go with me and Peter? And I said, sure. And, you know, then you just find your, your niche, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, mm-hmm. we, were, we were the gay guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, just, we became very, very good friends. And it's sad, you know, it wasn't my great friendship with Cher. It was my friendship with Bubba. But it, it, I love, you know, every minute about her. But sure, sure. That was, if I, if I had to pull something out of the concert, it would be a friendship with him. That's not what you want to hear. No, no. I want to, it's, it, this is your story. I want to hear what 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 stands out. So absolutely, it's all respectful, you know, information for sure. Started impersonating George Michael, and I went around the world doing that. And I started meeting. You know, my most my biggest fascination with that was meeting the drag queens that I would work with sometimes because they were so much better than the real girls that were doing the characters. You know. Then I eventually started working with some of the real girls, like the shares, and we'd always use your eight by ten that would find. And, you know, from a program or something, and we would copy, not Cher's photo, we would try to copy what Elgin was posing as. <laughs> so one of the girls I used to work with, with, with was called was Sandra, Sandra Wood, and uh, she was a showgirl from Las Vegas as well, and she found herself impersonating Cher, and she was really tall, so a lot of the times people thought she was Elgin. She thought they were thought that she was you. Yeah. She was like 6'2 as a girl. She's a really tall woman. So, you know, when she was in Cher drag, she was beyond, you know, beyond tall. And uh, she actually worked with Cher. And then she took me with her. And she is, and this is how I started learning. When I started casting people, I started learning how back then, how some of these music videos would work. So with the Walking in Memphis music video, all the faraway shots are Sandra. They're not Cher. So they would dress up Cher. They would dress up Sandra like Cher, same costumes. And they would shoot her all the faraway shots. Um, what's the share look like? And I found out that they use a lot of shares um, because she's not that she's she has a reputation for not being very easy to work with, especially when it comes to doing things over and over again. Not that they need to do a lot of the reshoots in today's uh, productions, but you know, back in the early '90s, there was a lot of lot of uh, retakes, and she wasn't one for that. So the director of the music video. Uh, uh, walking in Memphis was also the same director or same production company possibly that did Beavis and Butthead. Uh, the I Got You Bay with Cher, which was about blue screen screen thing. And they had a bad, ex- bad experience with Cher there. So they made sure they had a lookalike for the walking in Memphis. So when Cher walked, they could try to finish some shots with the lookalike. <laughs> okay. So I learned a lot. 
That's fun little trivia. Yeah, yeah, I I learned a a lot production watching that, and we ran into share. Me and Sandra ran into share at the craft table, the where all the snacks are. And um, she came up, and she was where she was getting ready for the next shot, which was a shot on the bus where she's wearing like the 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 pink sweater and the leather skirt. That's what she was wearing, and she would the the few seconds that we spent with her was unbelievable i was like in seventh heaven i just i mean i know it took you back at just how tiny she is yeah that i mean she and she looked at sandra and said oh boy you're a tall one <laughs> so that was really funny <laughs> sandra did not like that at all because she hated she hated being she didn't like the height th- height thing she was a good I got that time i got oh you're so tall you're so tall you're so tall I said, just put me on stage by myself. I'll be fine. <laughs> so uh, that, that that moment it was just a moment in time with me for always is is meeting Cher and and and, and seeing that. And then we also uh, saw her on the Oprah show uh, when she opened when Oprah came to Caesars when she opened her show there. And Tina Turner was there, so that was a great moment um, as well. So that was a great show. That was a great show. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, being in the advocate magazine, which we really, really didn't talk about, which in 89, when I was in that magazine, um, and to be in between Elgin Kenna and Jimmy James, boy, this young impersonator was sure on, I mean, on cloud nine. I mean, I was just, it was unbelievable for me to be, I thought I had, I made it. I thought something was going to happen. I mean, a year later, something did happen. I went on this, like a 16-week tour of Asia, you know, as George Michael. So that was really amazing. And, uh, you know, I worked pretty full-time as George Michael the next several years, 90, 91, 92, 93, and tried my best to get into Lacage. But uh, I, I, I did a couple of fill-ins, but that's about it. But it's really fast. I've always been fascinated with the drag, uh, hence that we do these podcasts now, but um, and always infatuated with Elgin yourself of course and and your career that you led so well you know what was funny is when we were when we were direct messaging the other night and i was asking you about this and you sent me that and i just i didn't remember it and but i have that i have that advocate but i just didn't remember it when you sent it i thought i don't remember doing that and then but i mean it was 100 years ago but then <laughs> i looked i looked when I was looking you up, because when you first contacted me, I didn't know who the hell you were. I just thought, who is this guy? And then I talked to Logan. I didn't talk to him, but we direct messages. I said, who is this guy? And you know, he said, oh, God, he's great. And, and then I realized you did George Michael, and I thought, that is who he is. And I, and now I know who you are, or who you, I don't know if you still do it, but you were who you no, were. No, and, no. <laughs> I do it in very rare. Embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I didn't remember that. <laughs> I do now. <laughs> and I saw you on Entertainment Tonight with uh, Tula. Was it Tula? I think her name is. Oh yes, I loved her. I loved her. She was so much fun. And you looked. That was a, that was a, fun, that was a fun little show. Wasn't and it? you looked amazing, like amazing, amazing. I mean, your ears must ring because when I talk, you know, I, I got some dear friends. Kevin Wiley, who's a dear friend of mine. Uh, we used to work on some of my shows. Now he's slightly retired. And when we talk Who about his name's Kevin Wiley, uh, I can't think of his drag name, but. He's a big fan of yours, and he's an exceptional performer. He doesn't really work that much anymore. He's kind of slightly retired. But your name always comes up. I mean, you're one of the legends in this industry, and you should be proud of what you've done. All the people I talk to, I mean, they're so humble. Um, but, I mean, you like, I mean, to work with, there's not many people that can say they went on tour with their lookalike. I mean, it's a small, small, small amount of people that's done that. <laughs> so, no, I don't and no, I don't. I don't. I'm not flippant about what I did. I mean, I know it was it was pretty great for for me, and I'm proud of what I did. But I just, you know, I, I'm a share fan, so 
I'd hate to do, well, and I'm sure there are share fans that are out there that go, oh, what the hell is that up there with her? You know what I mean? Oh, please. You can't, uh, you're unclockable, unclockable. You can't even, that's, a, oh, you know, I'm I mean, standing right next to her. <laughs> I mean, that part, yes. But I mean, yeah, but the, but the imagery, your portrayal of share, especially on tonight's show, when you're doing with the save up all your tears, save up all my tears look. Um, I mean, yeah. it's just unbelievable. I mean, you, you, I'm sorry. I mean, to me, you are the best share there's been. I mean, you are, because what sets you apart, and we talk about this too when we were chatting about drag, is like all the Polaroid pictures and all the snapshots, all the back room dress, backstage dressing room shots where you're just messing around. I mean, and when I see like going to hot chocolate or other you know, legends, you know, that been around and they have pictures of you, you look just like Cher. And that's very rare. I mean, you can't take it. I'm sorry. You can't, you can't, my candid shot to me is George Michael. You're like, who's that queen? The last thing you're thinking is George Michael. But I mean, especially with just drag queens, most of the drag queens, I mean, unless it's a certain angle, a certain side of the face, but it doesn't matter with any shots I've seen of you. It's always been dead on Cher. <laughs> so it's like, there's something eerie about you and your look because you photograph like Cher, no matter if it's studio or just a little well, shot of backstage. Then I will send you some pictures where I don't backstage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me keep my fantasy though, that that's what really happened. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not the only one we talk about. I mean, there's a lot of people that talk about the legends and you're definitely, you know, a, a celebrity in this industry and uh, it, you, it just so honored to talk to you and, and hear your story and so honored that you uh, made time for me. So I'm grateful. So thank you. Um, I'm, I've, I've enjoyed it very much. And um, uh, I don't, to me, I don't know what you're going to do with this because it sounds like we've just been talking. <laughs> well that's all we do we just we, we just people i want people one of the reasons i started this podcast was you know the the rupaul drag race is so popular and and people are became, becoming famous off of it and it's it's so wonderful for me there's so many people that did equally if not more amazing things with drag and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to people that have done that and have pursued this art form that's kind of rare but to pursue this art form and do amazing things with it like work with share and i spoke to viva sex who did the same thing and work with gloria stefan and went all over the world you know th those stand apart from a lot of people in the drag industry so i'm grateful that you're still with us i'm grateful that i had the opportunity to talk to you and i know people that are listening to this are going to be excited to hear your story so thank you well thank you thank you so much and I appreciate, appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully one day I'll be able to meet you and uh, give you a hug. So I appreciate your time and, and your you telling us your story, your personal story. So thank you. Well, you're, you're more than welcome. And thanks for asking me. It, 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 it really brought back a lot of memories. And um, I enjoyed telling my little story. And um, I, if I could, I would hug you, but I'll give you a virtual hug. <laughs> All right, Elgin. Thank you. Thank you, thank you thank so much. And to all the listeners, thank you for, for staying tuned with this episode of Icons Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Icons, incredible creation on stage podcast hosted by Dan Gore. If you would like to know more about our wonderful host, follow Dan Gore at facebook.com slash lookalikes and at Oscars downtown Palm Springs. If you enjoyed what you heard, hit subscribe and leave us a review. A new podcast every other week. Until then, have an iconic day.